Let's open up in a word of prayer as we open up the Word of God this morning. Heavenly Father, I thank you and praise you for this time of worship that we had with you. Father, I pray that you just be with us and that your Holy Spirit just ministers to hearts today as your Word is presented and help the presentation represent you, Father. I ask this in your name. Amen. Growing pains and the reluctant servant. Growing pains. How many of you have had growing pains? Oh, there's all kinds of growing pains out there. Amen. I hear an amen out there. There's uh, growing pains for kids. Just growing up hurts a lot. There's growing older hurts a lot. But it's also an indicator of uh, life. No pain, no life. Okay? If you don't feel anything, you're dead. All right? And we can take that in a physical sense, and we can also take that into our spiritual life. And I'm going to kind of look at that today. But um, this is kind of a two-part message. I have 150 points today. And then next week... No, I I don't have 150 points. I can't think... I can't even count that high. Um, let Let me get my notes together here. Growing pains in the reluctant servant. So we're going to look at a few things here. Growth is a painful process. Why? Because there is a changing. When we're talking about physical growth, we're talking about bones stretching and muscles stretching and ligaments growing. And, and, and kids are always telling you, Mommy, this hurts, or Daddy, this hurts. And I had a great dad. I still have a great dad, matter of fact. Um, I have a heavenly father, and I have a father, a physical father, who was a um, wonderful dad, terrible nurse. Absolutely terrible nurse. Um, you know, when I was growing up, it was always, uh, if, my, if mom wasn't around, because all of you know that moms are more sympathetic than dads. If, if you had a mom and a dad growing up, you know that if, um, you're, I learned quickly that I wouldn't get much from my dad as far as comfort, but my mom, I could. So I, you know, dad, my hand hurts. Dad, my stomach hurts. Dad, my head hurts. Dad, my knee hurts. It was always growing pains. You got growing pains. Didn't matter what was going on. I could have... You know, I could have carried my liver in my hand to my dad. And he'd tell, I said, Dad, and he'd say, growing pain, son. It happens to everybody. Uh, the one time, the one time, you know, thank God my mom was a nurse. The one time that uh, uh, he, he was sympathetic was I, I was, uh, we, we lived in the mountains uh, in Massachusetts. And we were uh, bike riding all the time. I was probably 13. And we ride our bikes everywhere. And we go everywhere riding bikes. Well, I introduced my my face to my bike one day and uh, going down a steep hill and I was spitting teeth out and I was, you know, I was loopy. I didn't know what was going on. I had a concussion and uh, it was the only time I ever heard my dad use um, God's name. It was, oh my God. And, you know, he, he looked at me and he said, son, you better go see your mom. And there was no growing pains or anything else. He recognized, he recognized that it was beyond his capability at that point and it was on to my mom. And mom, being a good nurse, said, okay, dear, go take a bath before we go to the hospital and we'll be on our way. That's, that's the way my, it was. Well, there are certain elements in growth that we need. We need nutrients. When you look at plants, when you look at yourself physically, you need certain things. You need food. You need water. You need sunlight. Everybody needs sunlight to, to grow. I mean, physically. I'm not talking about just plants, ourselves. And... Uh, uh, we need these things. And there are certain things spiritually that we also need to grow. Okay, there's, there's many facets of your life. It's not just how you feel physically. I mean, we're trying to do things now in, when we're growing up and when we're going through, you know, we try and take care of ourselves because the, as good as you take care of yourself when you're younger will determine how well you're going to feel as you get older. If you don't do anything good for yourself, when you're younger, you're going to feel the consequences when you're older. And your spiritual life is directly tied to that. If you don't have good spiritual habits, if you don't have good spiritual growth when you're older, or when you're younger, it's going to be harder to get those habits when, when, you're, when you're getting older. And it'll affect where you are in your spiritual life. And it's a hard, painful thing. It's a painful process. I'm not going to lie to you because I'm going through all this now. I can say these things to you because... You know, how many were, grew up in the church? Okay, from the time that they were, they were little. Now, I did. 
and, and some of you may not have. But I did. So that would mean, logically, that since I grew up in the church, and I mean I grew up in the church, when I was, I, I, I can remember Sunday school from the time I could remember, whatever age that is, to now, and I, I haven't been away from it. And you'd think that being there at that point for so long and being involved in church would logically would say, well, I, he has a good, great, spiritual, healthy life. Well, that's not necessarily true. That's not necessarily true. Because you just can't plant yourself someplace and go through the motions and expect spiritual growth just to happen. I'm going to wait here on God and, and He's going to do and give me everything that I need uh, and, and I'll be ready. And no, you'll be stagnant. There will be no spiritual growth at that point. It's like... Um, this is what I like to do. I'm going to show you in the physical. This is what I like to do. If I had my choice, this is what I would do all day. And there would be a, a breeze keeping my body temperature at the perfect temperature. And there would be a straw um, that would probably push, uh, oh, I don't know, chocolate milkshakes. And this is what I would do all day and I wouldn't move. That's what I like to do. Nothing. I like to do nothing. If I did that my whole life, what would I look like? I wouldn't have the physique I have today, would I? I would look like nothing, that's right. I would look like nothing. Your spiritual life is the same way. If you just lie there and do nothing, your gain is nothing. Okay? There's stuff that God's going to meet us where we need to be, but there's something that we have to do, and we have to meet them there. Okay? So what are some of the things that you need to grow spiritually? Well, we're going over these things this year. Some of the goals that we had for this year. Some of the, the characteristics of our, uh, of our church life that we at Cornerstone are grasping and trying to get a hold of are these. We want to have an up-to-date relationship with Jesus Christ. Up-to-date. Relationship. Relationship is a heavy word. It's a big word. That word means that you're going to talk to somebody. I can't have a relationship with my kids. I can't have a relationship with my wife. I can't have a relationship with my friends unless we're talking to each other. If we just sat at the dinner table and said nothing in our family life and, and had no contact whatsoever, we wouldn't know the other people. We wouldn't know our own family members. And it's the same thing with God. If you're not talking to God and you're not um, interacting with God on, on your level, wherever you're at, it doesn't matter where you're at, you've got to do something. You have to do something. And this is a struggle that I have because it's hard to do something all the time. It's very hard. It, it's very... Um, t- uh, I'm sure the elders, Elder John and Elder Sam and Pastor Taylor will tell you the same thing. It's not an easy road. If it was easy, everybody would be doing it. The church would be filled with people that were going to heaven and uh, going to come into God's glory. But that's not the case because it's not an easy thing to do, but it's a necessary thing to do. It is a necessary thing to do. The other things that we look at is making sure you're in the Word of God, watering yourself with the Word of God. We look for character, having a good character. If you have an intimate relationship with Christ and you're in the Word, your character is going to reflect that. You're going to have fruit in your life. Uh, That's how you know you're developing a relationship with Jesus Christ, because you're developing fruit. And, and he's talking to you and you're doing things. You know, it's a faith walk, but it's also a, a serving walk. It's a doing walk. And you're, you're, you're um, moving in the gifts and the manifestations of the Holy Spirit. There is a sure way that you're going to stop growth in your life. Stop doing all the things that help you grow. Okay? We're going to be talking about change today. We're going to ta- be talking about change the next few weeks. Because change is good. We don't like change, but change is good. Change means you're growing. And don't worry about making mistakes. Don't worry about um, what other people think about you because in, at the end of the day, you're not going to stand in front of God and be um, judged on the things that I said or, or did about you. You know, you have to stand up in front of God for your own things, what you did. And if you're doing these things and you're doing things for God and you're, you're walking out your walk the best that you can, honestly the best that you can, because we can fake it. We can come to church and we can fake it every single day. I, I'm an expert at it, I know. Okay, I've been there, I've done that. And uh, you can fake worship and you can fake um, any part of your Christian uh, on the outside. You can fool me, you can fool pastor, you can fool your best friend, but you'll never fool God. 
Never in a million years will you fool God. And when you stand before God, it's you and Him. And that's it. Okay? I'm telling you, these are things that I've learned. This is the stuff I want to share. We're going to look at uh, Moses. Growth, require, growth requires training. Okay? Um, having nutrients is good. Uh, but you also need exercise to grow. Again, if I, if I got the nutrients that I needed lying on the floor here, um, it wouldn't really mean anything because I, I'm not exercising. I'm not doing anything that's, you know, burning that energy and, and growing muscles and, and growing things that I need to, to grow physically. Uh, during exercise, muscles are built. They're torn down. They're built. They get stronger. They're more, they have more endurance. They, um, your, your physical, physical body changes. Um, uh, but what is the result of exercise? Why do a lot of people not exercise? It's not that people don't want to exercise. It's because exercise hurts. Okay? If exercise felt good... Now, there's some people out there, I know, that love the pain of a 100-mile uh, bike ride or a 10-mile run or whatever it is. They love it. I feel alive. Why do they feel alive? Because they're in so much pain. They know they're alive. That's why they love it so much. I'm not one of those people that love it so much, but I understand the value of it. I understand the value of it. Um, in order to get the physical results that you're looking for in your life, there's a few things you have to do. You're going to have to... There's going to be a breaking of your will. For you to go and exercise, there's going to be a breaking of your will, and there's going to be a breaking of the poor health habits you've had in the past. <clears throat> Excuse me. There's going to be a breaking of your will, physically, and a breaking of the poor health habits you had in the past. If you're going to exercise, you're going to have to do those two things. You're going to have to come to the point where you say, no matter what it takes, I'm going to do this. And whatever poor health habits you had in the past, you're going to have to change and move on and, and, and grow from there. Your spiritual life is the same thing. Spiritual growth is going to require a breaking of your will and of the poor spiritual habits you created when you were young. Some, of, some people, you may think you have good spiritual hab habits now, and you probably do, but it's a maintaining thing. If I exercise for a certain period of time, and I look great, and I stop exercising, I will look poor a lot quicker than it took me to look great. That's just a fact. that We all know that. We know that we push and we break our will and we change our health habits and we exercise and we get our physical bodies in an in a excellent shape. But as soon as we stop, it, it's, it's weeks, it's days before your body starts breaking down and goes back into the habits that it had before. And you lose, and you usually lose at a greater rate than what you gained. Your spiritual life can be the same thing. Why? How do I know? Again, I've, I've been there. I've had my highs and my lows. I'm still trying to plod on and keeping my high going higher. And that's what our goal is. Keep your high going higher, not having these spikes. This is part of our Christian walk. I think that we're trying to level off those spikes and just keep it on a steady incline. Some of us are climbing like this. You know, good for you. Keep going at that rate. Some of us are growing like this. But if we're having some kind of growth, I think that's the most important part. You know, some of you might grow quicker than others. That's okay. Don't. Don't compare yourself to someone else's life, spiritual life. Never do that. Never do that. It's, it's just as bad as um, people get frustrated when they exercise because they compare themselves. Like me, my problem is I always compared myself to um, uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger. That's my goal. All right? What's the reality of that? <laughs> It'd be a long time and a lot of protein and, whew, I, you know... I should be, you know, I shouldn't set my goal. <laughs> I should set my goals high. I should really set my goals high, but, you know, not unobtainable. Realistic. Realistic goals. Climbing at a rate that I know that I can handle and that I'm going to constantly grow. The question you have to ask yourself is, are you willing to be stretched by God? Because God is willing to stretch you. He's very willing to stretch you. And we hear every day that God is a gentleman. And he's not going to, you know put anything on you that you can't bear and he's not going to... Uh, God can do anything he wants. I mean, let's face it. God is God. He'll do what he wants to do with your life. And if, where he, if, you need, if he knows where you need to be, he's going to put things in your life to get you there. So, don't give up. Keep pressing forward. 
Let's move on and let's let God stretch us. Um, because if God has called you, He's training you right now. And quite honestly, as I think about it, God is a God that knows everything. Okay? So He knows where you're going to be ten years from now. He knew where you're going to be ten years from now, a hundred years ago, before you were even born. Matter of fact, let's look at a few scriptures. Let's go to, um, let's go to Jeremiah 1.5. If God has called you, He is training you now. And if you are called to be a child of God, you were chosen before you were even born. Jeremiah 1.5 says this, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were formed in the womb, He knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I have appointed you a prophet to the nations. Now, he was talking to Jeremiah, but that goes for all of us. He knows he knew you before you were born, before you were even built in the womb. He knew you. Let's go to uh, John 15, 9. I'm just sharing these scriptures because some of us need to, to hear this and know this. That, that God had plans for you before you even knew you were you. John fifteen nineteen. I'm sorry. John fifteen nineteen. It says this. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, because of this, the world hates you. He chose you. I chose that scripture because He chose you out of the world. He knew you before you were born and He chose you out of the world. Let's go to Ephesians 1, 4. Last one. There. I told you I had 150 points. Ephesians 1.4 Just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world... Okay, in Jeremiah we read that He knew you before you were born, before you were made in the, in the womb. Now what He's saying is this. Before the foundation of the world, He knew you. That we would be holy and blameless before Him in love. Okay, so what's that telling you? It means that if you, are God, if you are in God, God has chosen you before the foundation of the world. He knew exactly what you needed. He knew exactly what you were going to need every step of the way. Don't you think that God didn't know, that, you, that God knew that you weren't, maybe you weren't going to have a father your whole, your whole life? Don't you think God knew that? Some of the terrible things that happen in our lives, don't you think God knew those things were going to happen? It wasn't a surprise to God. Nothing's a surprise to God. Don't you think God knew that the economy was going to take a dump this year? He did. He knew that a long time ago. But you are in this time right now because He knew this is what you needed and this is where you need to be and that in the future you're in training now you're in tra- every part of your life is training we're, we're in constant training if you have been chosen you are in training now even if you don't know it even if you choose not to choose God you're still in, tra- you're still in training God knows what's going on He's given everybody everything they need no matter who they are no matter what they are saved or unsaved you got what you need you're in training because God wants you to be a certain place at a certain time everything's appointed Everything is. You know, I used to... It's kind of funny because when you're, when, you're child, when you're a child, you play childish games. And uh, when you... Especially growing up in the, in the church, you, you, you do childish things, of course. But uh, one of the things was, you know, when you start hearing these things that God knew exactly the, what you were going to think and, and what the decisions you were going to make, I'd sit there and say, I'm going to do this, no, I'm not. I'm going to do this, no, I'm not. I'm going to do this, no, I'm not. See if I can trick God, you know... You think I'm going to do this, God? No, I'm not. Well, he knew. I mean, come on. He knew I was going to play those silly games. I want to look at Moses today because Moses was trained from the time he was born. A lot of the times we look at Moses as coming into his, what he needed and what he got was right there at the burning bush. But I tell you differently. He, he was trained from the time he was born all the way through. From the time of birth, God moved him from place to place where he needed to be. I mean, God gave him the right mom. God gave him the right two moms. 
that he needed at that time. And God raised Moses' mom to be a woman of God that would do anything to save her child, even to the point of risking her own life. Moses needed a mom that had that kind of stamina and that kind of, I mean, all those characteristics, Moses needed that. What happened? He was born. Uh, all the, the males of, uh, of that time were supposed to be put to death. She kept him as long as she could, but feared for his life as he got older. I don't know what that age was. I'm sure someone could tell me. Um, but he needed a mom that was going to risk putting him in a basket and floating him down a river, the Nile River. How many alligators are in that one? Crocodiles? Are there crocodiles or alligators? Well, I don't know the difference. All right. But the point is, she could have, if she kept him, she risked her own life. Think of this from Moses' mom's standpoint. If she kept Moses, she was going to lose him. If she let him go, she was going to lose him. It was lose-lose for her. Both situations. How did she know that Pharaoh's daughter was going to pick Moses up out of the river and bring Moses back to her? She didn't know that. When she laid that basket in the river and let it go, she was thinking she was never going to see her son again. There was only a small chance that he was going to survive. She knew that one choice meant no survival. This other chance was not a great rate of survival, I'm sure. How many of you would float your kid down a river in a basket at however small, whatever age he was at? It was lose-lose for her. But did God turn that around? Absolutely. What, other, what else did Moses need? Moses needed another mom. That mom was Pharaoh's daughter. And who picked up this baby and fell in love with it and wanted it for her own and wanted to raise it for her own. I don't know why. Do you think she didn't know he was a Hebrew child, uh, an Israelite? Do you think she didn't know that? She did. You can tell the difference between an Egyptian baby and an Israelite baby. She knew. Moses knew growing up that he was different from everybody else. He knew who his people was. That was all God. God orchestrated all that. Why did Moses need a Pharaoh? He, Moses was educated in the, uh, in all the, with all the education of Egypt. He was a prince. He was treated like a prince. I think Moses knew what his, de- what his destiny was. In the, in the beginning, you know, sometimes we can try and get ahead of God. You know, we get overconfident and overstep our bounds. We try and get ahead of what God has for us. How old was Moses when he finally uh, had his first interaction between an Egyptian and an Israelite? I don't know if it was his first interaction, but the prominent one that's written in the Bible. Does anybody know? He was 40. When Moses met... There was, there was what? There was an Israelite and an Egyptian. An Egyptian was beating the Israelite. And Moses saw it. Moses went and killed the man. Do you think... Uh, Moses knew what he was doing. He knew his Israelite heritage. He knew the Ten... Well, no, he didn't know the Ten Commandments yet because they weren't <laughs> made yet. But we know that murder wasn't... <laughs> Murder wasn't the thing that was acceptable at that time. He knew it was wrong. He knew it was wrong. And then, I think, he got a little, I don't know if it was prideful, but he went out expecting his people to, to kind of lift him up. Because, he, you know, he saved an Israelite from an Egyptian. And what they do? They, they treated him like he was an Egyptian. He saw two Israelites the next day fighting amongst each other. And he said, whoa, brothers, wait, we're, we're family. We're all the same. What are you doing? And, and, and the one Israelite said, well, what are you going to do? Kill me like you killed that Egyptian? That brought fear into Moses' uh, life at that point. And what did he do? He ran. He ran away. And, you know, maybe if Moses didn't kill that Egyptian, maybe he wouldn't have to wait another however many years. Maybe the children of Israel could have left sooner than what they did. But, you know, it wasn't to be. God knew the choices that he was going to make. He knew what Moses was going to need. 
What else is Moses going to need? Moses ran to Midian. This is a desert country, I believe. This was an interesting number for me. Um, he was 40 when he had the altercation, let's say, in the field with the Egyptian and the Israelite. He runs away to Midian to become a shepherd, a nomadic herder. And he's in the desert for 40 years before the burning bush incident. Moses was in the desert wandering around for 40 years before he meets God at the burning bush. That's a funny number. I think it's coincidence. Yeah, it's probably coincidence. What do you think? Moses had been groomed and trained for that one moment when he was going to meet God at the burning bush. He didn't know what was going to happen. He didn't know that all that stuff beforehand was a training session for him. He did not know it all. Moses had been groomed and trained for the one moment and purpose when finally the time comes to fulfill his destiny. What happens? He's reluctant to go. He's been trained all this time. I think he had an understanding that he knew he was going to be a leader of his people. But because it didn't work out the way that he thought it did, and when God finally met him at the burning bush, he was reluctant to go. And that's what we have to be careful of. You're being trained. You're being stretched. You're growing. When you finally meet God with that purpose, are you going to be reluctant to go? Are you going to be reluctant to go? Let's go on. Moses is going to meet God in, in the desert. Let's go to Exodus chapter 3. For the sake of time, I'm going to kind of go through it quick. I think it's important, though. Exodus chapter 3. It's a very important chapter in Moses' life. It's very intriguing to me. I love this. I'm going to read it really, really fast. Okay? Because there's other things I want to do here. If I slur my words, I'm sorry. Now Moses was tending... This is chapter 3, verse 1. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the desert. And I'm going to... Flip over to New American Standard. The angel, when the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the midst of a bush, and he looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire, yet the bush was not consumed. So Moses said, I must turn aside now and see this marvelous sight, why the bush is not burned up. And when the Lord saw that he had turned aside to look, God called to him from the, in the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here I am. And then he said, Do not come near here. Remove your sandals from your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. He said also, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Then Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt. Now, from this point on, God is going to do something for Moses. Okay? This is very important. He's going to lay out a very detailed plan for Moses' life from this point on. Exactly what Moses is going to do. Exactly what Moses is going to say. Exactly what is going to happen. Moses doesn't have to say anything at all. God's going to lay it out for him. Let's pick it up in uh, verse 8. So I have come down to deliver them from the power of the Egyptians and to bring them up from that land to a good and spacious land, to a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanite and the Hittite and the Amorite and the Perizzite and the Hivite and the Jebusite. Now behold, the cry of the sons of Israel has come to me. Furthermore, I have seen the oppression with which the Egyptians are oppressing them. Therefore, come now, and I will send you to Pharaoh, so that you may bring my people, the sons of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh, and that I should bring the sons of Israel out of Egypt? First sign of uh, reluctance right there. Note that. But God continues. He kind of says, Okay, well, I'm going to go on, and maybe the rest of what I say is going to affect you. So God says in verse 12, And he said, Certainly I will be with you. That's great. Certainly I will be with you is the first thing God says to Moses. That's exactly what Moses needed to hear. Did Moses hear it? Uh, well, let's find out. 
Certainly I will be with you, and this shall be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall worship God at this mountain. Then Moses said to God, Behold, I am going to the sons of Israel, and I will say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. Now they may say to me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God furthermore said to Moses, Thus you will say to the sons of Israel, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and this is my memorial name to all generations. Go and gather the elders of Israel together uh, and say to them, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob has appeared to me, saying, I am indeed concerned about you and what has been done to you in Egypt. So I said, I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanite and the Hittite and the Amorite and the Perizzite Perizzite, and the Hivite and the Jebusite, the land flowing with milk and honey. They will pay heed to what you say. And you, with the elders of Israel, will come to the king of Egypt, and you will say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us. So now please let us go a three days' journey into the wilderness, that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. But I know that the king of Egypt will not permit you to go except under compulsion. So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all my miracles, which I will do in the midst of it. And after that, he will let you go. I will grant this people favor... In the sight of the Egyptians, and it shall be that when you go, you will go, you will not go empty handed. But every woman shall ask of her neighbor and the woman who lives in her house articles of silver and articles of gold and clothing, and you will put them on your sons and daughters. Thus you will plunder the Egyptians. So this is the whole plan. God says, Moses, you're going to go to the elders of Israel. You're going to tell them that I am the God that uh, has sent you and that I am who I am. And they're all going to believe you and you can do this miraculous sign. And then you're all going to go as a group and you're going to go before the king of Egypt. And you're going to say this and do that. And he's not going to let you go. But after a while, um, I'll harden his heart. But then I'll unharden it. And then I'll, you know, and you'll be out and gone and you will plunder the Egyptians and you won't leave empty handed. That's a simple plan. Okay? And God laid it out right there. And, and, and you and I kind of have 20, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. We can look at, at this and say, Moses, God said he was going to do all these things for you. Why didn't you just do what he asked you to do? But isn't that like us sometimes? Sometimes we don't get this amazing plan nailed out detail by detail for us by God. But we are we hear God's voice and we know what we're supposed to do. And we're reluctant to do it. And we're reluctant to go. Even though it's God Himself that tells us to do it. We're reluctant to go. Why are we reluctant to go? Isn't He God? Isn't He the one that has our life in His hand? Gives us the air we breathe. We sing all the songs during worship. And yet, we're still reluctant to go. This is what Moses says. Then Moses said in verse 4, uh, in chapter 4, verse 1, Then Moses said, What if they will not believe me or listen to what I say? For they may say, The, the Lord has not appeared to you. And the Lord does some miracles for, for Moses. Throws the staff down. Turns into a snake. How many of us would pick up the tail of a snake, even if God told us to? Moses had faith enough to do that. <laughs> uh, I don't know, God. I don't know. I don't know if I can do that. Let's go to uh, Exodus 4, verse 10. Already we've heard three times when we hear a hint of Moses being reluctant to go, well, what if this, God? Well, what if this happens? Well, what if I... God's just saying, well, just, just go. I've laid out the plan for you. What if? What if? Chapter 4, verse 10. is on the next page. Finally, after Moses' excuses, you know, we, we try and excuse a lot of things. We try and make excuses to God. You know, God tells us to do something. God asks us to do something. We know God's moving in our life in some direction. And we just start making excuses. 
4.10. It comes to this. Then Moses said to the Lord, Please, Lord, I have never been eloquent, neither recently nor in time past, nor since you have spoken to your servant, for I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. Well, that really ticked God off at that point. But I want to show you what Moses said here. Let's read that again. And this is why. And I think I know why a guy was a little angry with Moses. 4.10 Then Moses said to the Lord, Please, Lord, I have never been eloquent, neither recently nor in time past, nor since you have spoken to your servant, for I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. I've heard people say that Moses stuttered. He had a speech impediment. Um, I don't know that I believe. I, I don't know that I believe that, because Moses said that. I, I just don't know. He, Moses doesn't want to do what God wants him to do. But I want to show you something in Acts. Go to Acts seven twenty two. This this really blew my mind when I saw this. Acts. This is Stephen's. Um, First and last sermon. This is what everybody, every speaker prays that they can have a, uh, uh, a sermon as good as Stephen's. Well, maybe not quite so good. You know, with all the fire and the pizzazz, but less the sticks and the rocks. You know, Stephen went before the Sanhedrin and he gave this whole big spiel and really got them angry. And he was stoned shortly thereafter. But... He's, what he's doing in part of his sermon is he's relaying to the Sanhedrin what, what God was doing to the children of Egypt and how they took him out and how God got him out of Egypt. This is what he says, Acts 7, 22. Let's go back some. Let's go back to Acts 7, 20. It was at this time that Moses was born and he was lovely in the sight of God, and he was nurtured three months in his father's home. And after he had been set outside, Pharaoh's daughter took him away and nurtured him as her own son. Moses was educated in all the learning of the Egyptians, and he was a man of power in words and deeds. I'm going to read that to you in the uh, New International Version, verse 22. Moses was educated in all the wisdom of the Egyptian, in the Egyptians, and was powerful in speech and action. He was a powerful man in speech. Well, that's funny. He, he, he just told us that at that point, and in times past, that he was slow to speak. And it, well, that's not what Stephen was saying. I think, I think Moses was making some excuses. What do you think? That blew me away. I thought, I didn't think he's powerful in speech and action. Huh. Go figure. I did not know that. I just lost my place. God, um, God takes his time shortly after. This is why it looks like um, God was really angry at Moses because that was really a poor excuse. I mean, you, you know Moses was probably grasping for straws at this point. Uh, what am I going to do? What am I going to tell God? Um, the last thing I got is, okay, I can't speak well. Well, God knew different because God trained Moses from the time he was born to that very moment when he met God. And he knew that at that moment in time, Moses had everything that he absolutely needed to fulfill his purpose, to fulfill God's purpose in his life. Everything that he needed. And God wasn't going to let him go and fulfill that purpose ahead of time. God didn't let Moses do that 40 years prior when Moses thought he was ready. When he was 40 years old and maybe was in his prime. No, God waited for the exact... Because God knows everything. God knew who Pharaoh was going to be before the foundations of the world. God knew every situation that was going on in the world at that time and prepared Moses for it his entire life. His entire life. God is doing the same thing in your life. 
He is training you from the time you were born to now, tomorrow. There is not going to be a point in time when you're not going to be trained by God, where God is not going to try and stretch you. We may not get it right the first time, but don't be surprised if situations that you feel like you've fallen in before don't reoccur. Expect them to reoccur. We, we, sometimes we judge ourselves and we base our success on how many times we fall down. All right? I've fallen this many times. You, you put a value on that. I'm a failure. I'm a loser. I can't do this because I've fallen this many times. No. Success is not based on how many times you fall down. Success is based on how many times you get up. I don't care. I've messed up enough times to know that when I mess up again, I'm going to get back up. I don't care what anybody else says about me or how I feel about myself. Because if our relationship with Christ is based on our feelings, I don't think any of us would be here today. We wouldn't. Success is not based on how many times you fall down, but how many times you get up. Get up every day. Get up every morning. And if you fall an hour later, get up again. And if you fall that afternoon, get up again. And if you fall 20 times that day, get up 21 times. And keep going. Because you're no different than me. You're no different than the person next to you. We're all people. We're not perfect. We're trying to follow a God who is, and He's trying to bring us up to that point of perfection. You're not going to be perfect until you're standing in front of God. Okay? That's just it. So, don't... And Pastor Taylor says this a lot. Don't compare yourself to those around you. You set yourself up for failure when you do that. Know that God loves you. He has His best for you. We have to meet Him in those certain places. We have to get up every single time and keep walking the walk and keep... Walking it out in faith. And that's all we can do at this point. This is leading into next week's message on kind of how we can be stretched by God. Because Moses was reluctant, the anger of God burned against him. And guess what happened? Aaron was picked to be the mouthpiece of God. So now we have a middleman. You know, we may miss some opportunities, but don't miss them all. Don't give up and miss them all. There are going to be opportunities lost, but there are going to be opportunities that you can get a hold of and put in your pocket as a victory. And guess what? Don't look at that victory too long. Don't dwell on that victory too long and be prideful about it. But move on. Put that one in your pocket and move on. You've got something that you've learned that made you stronger and you're going to move on from there. Aaron was picked to be the mouthpiece of God. So, God spoke to Moses. Moses spoke to Aaron. Aaron spoke to the, the people of Israel. And we saw how that worked out when Moses went on the mountain for 40 days. <laughs> you know, it, it could have been a whole lot better. But, did God just cast his whole plan to the side? No. Is God going to cast his whole plan for you to the side? No, I don't think so. I think if you are doing those things that are pleasing to him, how do we show God that we love him? Obedience. Obey. It's that simple, yet it's that hard. I mean, you, you, and those of us that have kids know that we, we kind of expect the same things. When you ask your kids to do something, you expect it to be done. Yeah, I heard that. And it seems to us that it's so simple a thing to do. And we don't understand why they don't grasp it. It's so easy. I said, just pick it up and put it in the shelf. And it's still on the floor. How hard is that? And God's saying, it's so easy. Just open up your Bible. Read it. It's that simple. You don't talk to him. 
There's no relationship. If there's no relationship, you're just kind of... That's it. Stagnant. That was the word for stagnant. That means stagnant. How much easier would it have been for Moses to at that point in time when God met him at the burning bush to turn around and say, forget it. This is where Moses stood up to the plate. He got a chastening from God, went through his struggle, but instead of falling down and staying down, he didn't waste any time. He got right back up and said, I'll do it. And did it anyways. I'm sure he wasn't encouraged about it because he ran away from Egypt because everybody wanted to kill him. It wasn't an easy thing for Moses to do. He was 80 years old and uh, God's going to say, Moses, take about a million and a half, two million people out of Egypt for me. I know you're 80. You're going to live to, oh, 120. <laughs> Thereabouts, somewhere around in there. After another 40 years in the desert. <laughs> Good things to look forward to. But Moses was growing in stretching. We have to be willing to be stretched. You know, if Moses had turned around and walked away at the burning bush, he'd have never stood on the mountaintop and watched God walk by. Oh, that would have been amazing. He couldn't even... God in the face. Because God's glory was just so great. But he had a chance to see God walk by and see the back of him. Who would like to see the back of God? And Moses talked to God and had such a relationship with him that his face glowed. People were scared to look at him. People are scared to look at me, but it's not because of the glory of God. I tell you that. <laughs> I'm going to ask a couple more questions and we're going to close. Was Moses truly incapable of presenting and doing what God wanted him to do? No, he wasn't. And he fulfilled his destiny that God had for him. It took him a little time, but he did it. So much so, and God adored him so much, he was considered a friend of God. Have you had a burning bush moment when you and God meet face to face, when sandals are removed, and God reveals His heart to you, and all the cards are laid out on the table. Have you had that burning bush moment with God? And if you have, or when you do, what is your reaction going to be? We should have that burning bush moment probably every morning when we get up. God, what do you have for me to do today? Make it something simple, because I've got a lot of work to do. <laughs> Are you looking for that burning bush moment? Are you going to wait for it to drop in your lap? Moses had to see the burning bush and recognize it. He recognized it as an oddity, but he had to go there to it. He didn't walk up to him. Poof, hi, I'm a burning bush. <laughs> he saw it in the distance and he went after it and met God right there. We have to be willing to be stretched. The, next question, the last question I have for you is, how can we be stretched? How can we be stretched? And that's going to be, for next week, how we can be stretched. Let's have everybody stand. What I want you to take away with you today is to know that God knows everything about you. He knows everything that you need, and you need to understand that you're in training. You need to be willing to meet God every single day and receive that training. Let's bow our heads. First thing we need to do to be able to receive our training in full is to be able to connect with God. There's a couple ways that we need to connect to God. When we say we're connecting with God, we're talking about relationship. What I want to ask today is the 
one of the first steps that you can ways to connect and meet with God is is to ask Him to be your Lord and Savior. And if there has if there's anybody here today that has not done that, I want you to raise your hand. And I'd like the prayer team to come forward as well. At this point, anybody? Just put your hand and put it down. Second way we can connect to God is to be developing our relationship with God daily. And if we haven't done that, now's a good day to start. If you've already asked Jesus into your heart, great. You've taken the first step. The second step is going to be a little harder, and that's going to be relationship development, connecting with God on a personal level. And that's what we here at Cornerstone want to be able to help you do. If you're ready to meet God in a personal relationship way, this is not about salvation. If you've asked Jesus in your heart, you're saved. We're talking about a deeper relationship. Connecting with God so you know exactly what He has for your life and that you're ready for that point in your life when God's going to call you to your destiny. If you want that relationship, raise your hand and put it down. Thank you. I see those hands. Thank you. As Don's playing, I'm going to ask. You may have raised your hand, you may not have, but the prayer team is available. I'm going to ask that you make yourself available to God by coming up and having prayer. And just begin to work your way to the front right now as I begin to pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for what you do in our lives. Thank you for your saving grace. You are an awesome God. Father, you knew us before we were even born. You knew us before the world was even created. You know our capabilities, even though we don't, Father. Father, I pray that you just give each one the, the courage to step forward. To find you in that burning bush, Lord Jesus. To meet you face to face. To take our sandals off, Lord Jesus, and stand on holy ground. And receive from you that which you have from, for us, Lord. The prayer team is going to be here. Please take time. Don't, don't miss out on what God has for you. Don't miss out on just because you think you're, you've fallen down. Stand up. Go forward. Move on today. Yesterday is gone. What you do in this moment now is what matters.